All right, welcome to Crossing Broadcast. I am your host, Kyle Scott, joined by Russell Joy this morning. Russ, Adam is on vacation in sunny San Diego, probably sitting, well, he's definitely not sitting on a beach right now because it's 3 a.m., but uh, probably spent a good chunk of the weekend on the beach, so it is you and I flying solo today. Adam will be back in the captain's chair on Wednesday. What's going on, Russ? I have been listening to Michael Bolton's How Am I Supposed to Live Without You? ever since Adam announced that he would not be here today. But it's A-OK. I got my morning turn on Skype and Kyle Scott coffee slurp, so I am feeling sensational today. Looking forward to a great week in Philly sports. I was very conscious about the ah into the mic when you got when you answered the Skype call. So maybe had the coffee slurp, and I'm now conscious of my sigh. Um yeah, Adam, Adam, it's tough working with divas, man. You know, you got, got a guy needs a vacation every three shows, sitting out on the beach in California, completely out of pocket, not responding to our slacks. So this is what you got to do when you work with the superstars, you know? But Kyle, you set a weird precedent. You know, the last time he missed an episode, he came back and he was hosting. So now that he missed this one, does that mean when he comes back, he's going to be running Crossing Broad? Full ownership of the podcast. Full 100% share of all podcast revenues will be going to Adam upon his return. Oh, uh, I apologize to everyone for my voice. I have a cold. My kid is sick. Uh, I haven't been, I think I've been legit sick once in maybe the last seven years. And then what I've learned in the last year and a half is that kids get sick a lot. And I think my kid is sick every six weeks and I get sick half of those times. Uh, my kid is sick right now. So the cold is coming on. Uh, so I apologize for my voice. Russ, have you experienced this? Uh, yeah. So um, when a, when a little kid gets sick, which you'll find, especially if they go into daycare, they're sick every week, maybe at best, if you go a two week stretch without some odd colors of boogers falling out of their nose and mouth, then you consider that a very, uh, great period of your life. And I will tell you that if you decide to go down the, uh, the two kid Avenue, it gets even worse. So, yeah, I uh, figure they. Ju- I figure they just like s- swap germs back and forth in your household as like one perennial petri dish for the first four years if you have two running around. Yeah, it definitely is. And then you run around with Lysol wipes in the hope that you'll be able to get out in front of it, and you never do. So then you just wonder why you even uh, why even wipe anything down in the first place. Yeah, see, I've gone the other way. We've just decided that, well, we're not going to wipe anything down. We're going to let them sneeze and cough and wipe boogers on us because maybe we'll build up an immunity. And I got to say, when he was when he was sick last year, I would get real, like, I would get the cold hardcore. Now I'm just getting, like, the sniffles and a little bit of a sneeze. So I, I feel like my immunity is, is coming back up to kid level. Anyway, um, that is us. Neither of us sleep particularly much. Russ has a four-month-old. Uh, our one and a half year old just started sleeping a few months ago and now he's sick. So he's back to not sleeping for this week again. Anyway, uh, moving on, let's, let's get right into it. We have some follow up from, uh, last week from our show on Wednesday in the sports bubble conversation, two articles came out. I want to say later that day, one from SI.com. And, um, if you recall in our sports bubble conversation, it was basically about how these, Rising sports broadcast rights deals were leading to um, increased salaries and larger salary caps in sports and giving you players like Kyle Lowry making $40 million a year. Well, that also applies to college football. The players, of course, quite famously, don't make money. However, 
the conferences now for 10 years. ESPN started this back in the 80s and 90s when they bid on rights to college sports, um, you know, even the ancillary college sports that weren't really a thing until they came along with 24-7 worth of sports programming. Uh, in the last 10 years, money to college conferences and the NCAA has just been ballooning along with the other sports leagues. Uh, so there was an SI.com article about a recent meeting with the networks where ESPN usually has a large contingent of, of top-level execs there. CBS is there, Fox is there, and they all get together with these conferences and bid on the rights or talk about the upcoming rights and broadcasts and whatever. Um, in the article, a lot of the uh, execs from the big conferences noted that ESPN had a curious absence this year. They were there, but they didn't have the same C and E level executives that are normally there. They didn't have as large of a contingent. And this was a very long article. I forget who wrote it for SI.com on their college football page, talking about how the power conferences are unsure as their deals start to come up if they're going to be getting the same crazy broadcast rights from the ESPNs and Foxes of the world. And it also mentioned, like we talked about, Amazon and Google maybe coming in and bidding on those things in a few years. The problem with what all the deals that had been handed out previously were the networks needed sports to, to save themselves. And when these deals come up again, it might not be the networks bidding. It might be Amazon and Google, and they're not going to need sports to save themselves. So they'll have a little bit more leverage. But interesting article from SI.com. Uh, later that day, an article on FierceCable.com. I never heard of this website, but it was recapping Disney CEO Bob Iger, and he was speaking about how ESPN is actually getting a subscription boost from these over-the-top streaming packages like YouTube TV, uh, Hulu Live, which is out now. The interface absolutely sucks. Do not get it. Uh, YouTube TV is pretty good. And PlayStation View. Iger wouldn't say how much money ESPN is getting directly from these services, but he said it is enough for them to continue focusing on making ESPN a part of those packages. Interestingly, he noted that a subscriber in a streaming package is worth as much to them as a subscriber through a regular cable package. So that leads me to believe that ESPN receives the same roughly $7 per subscriber, whether you're subscribing through Verizon Cable or through YouTube TV. That's interesting because, as we've talked about, ESPN relies on these subscriber fees. And if these streaming bundles all include ESPN, people who cut the cord are just going to be moving over to those, and ESPN will continue to get money. So that does bode well for ESPN. Russ, that was a long intro. Uh, any thoughts on either of those two things? Not a whole lot. Um, it, it is fitting, or I guess it's a, a good model for ESPN now to be able to pick up money through streaming services. Um, I'll be interested to see if the NBC Sports of the world, the CBS Sports, which I didn't even really uh, know as a channel, and the BNs of the world, uh, if any of those networks eventually, if they get better broadcasting rights, if they start to uh, to get a, a slice of that pie, especially NBC Sports, considering they have Sunday night baseball or Sunday night uh, football. Yeah, so it, it, it's NBC is a little bit complicated because on one hand they have the network, so they have NBC proper, which is historically free TV, and they rely on ad dollars. But when they're in these streaming packages, in most cases, local NBC, your NBC affiliate, which is 
obviously broadcasting the national NBC shows and NBC Sports are included. That's the big deal about PlayStation View and YouTube TV, the NBC Sports Network, the national cable network, as well as the regional network, which for us is Comcast Sportsnet, is included in most of these. So there's definitely a portion of the subscription. If you're paying 40 bucks a month for PlayStation View, a portion of that is absolutely going to ESPN. It is absolutely going to NBC Sports and Comcast Sportsnet. I don't know how that breaks down. I think Comcast Sportsnet on a traditional cable bill is like 3 or $4, where ESPN is somewhere between 7 and 8 I don't know how that shakes down for streaming, if, if Comcast and NBC get as much. It's all how they negotiate it. Um, it would be guess- interesting to see what the, uh, um, the contract looks like as it's currently constructed versus if ESPN does start to lose some of these um, the, the rights to broadcast games. And especially if they lose them to other streaming services to see um, what kind of cut they're going to be getting at that point in the future if they were to lose, you know, Monday Night Football, the NBA, when that contract is up. I, yeah. I, would, I would think it has to affect their $7 that they're getting. Absolutely. It loses their leverage. They Right now they could use their leverage because they have premium NFL and NBA games and say, we demand $7. This is what we're getting on cable. We should get this from our streaming package. So in the short term... And I, this is why I've always thought ESPN isn't fully doomed. They're definitely in some trouble, but they have been kind of early moving to these packages. First, it was Sling TV, and now it's the bigger ones, PlayStation View and YouTube TV. And if, if people cut the cord and just go to those, it doesn't really matter to ESPN because what Iger is saying is that they're getting the, the subscriber as wor- is worth as much. So to me, that means they're getting the same amount. Uh, it's a good segue from uh, a question we got from... Uh, a Russo sixteen sixteen last week as a follow up on this, he said, "You guys talked about the sports bubble. I think the opposite is happening or could happen. Netflix, Amazon, and Google may drive the bids up. We had said they uh, will bid on these rights in the future, but my guess is our guess was it wouldn't be as much as the networks are currently paying, which would mean lower overall salaries and money into sports. He's saying they could drive the bids up. ESPN can't afford to lose Monday Night Football, and if the bid does come down, the teams and leagues will make up the revenue with ads on jerseys, guaranteed. A few thoughts there. First of all, I agree that Netflix, Amazon, and Google will be able to bid right there alongside with the ESPNs and Turners, TNT, CBS, NBCs of the world. I think specifically Amazon because they have a unique way to monetize. And this was also in the SI article and something we mentioned last week. They don't need to rely on selling ads to get their money back. Yes, they could do that, but they can also advertise their own products. And I, with the release of the Echo Show, so you now have an Amazon Echo sitting in your kitchen that has a screen, you're beginning to see how if Amazon gets NFL rights, not only could they put it on your phone through an app, not only could they put it in Amazon Prime Video, but now they could also put it on devices that are already sitting on your countertop in your kitchen. Uh, and I don't think it's that much of a stretch to think they would promote their own products right there and allow you to press a button or just say a word and order a product they are advertising in real time. So I agree that those companies will be able to bid. The difference is they have more leverage than ESPN, CBS, NBC had this last go-around of negotiations. The sports leagues and teams knew that those networks needed sports to continue to be relevant, to keep people as subscribers, as cable subscribers, watching broadcast TV. When Netflix, Amazon, and Google, maybe Apple and those sorts of companies begin to bid on these things, 
the leagues know very well that these are healthy companies that already have either paying subscribers, a healthy search business, a healthy e-commerce company. They don't need sports to exist or to continue existing. So I think those companies can bid on it. They may have more money, but I don't think they'll need to bid as much, and they have more leverage in negotiations. And I think what you saw the last go-around in bidding was ESPN having to bid into these deep billions because they needed these rights, and they bid, bid sort of a comical number. Um, the other thing Russ, uh, Russo, A. Russo said was, if not, they'll make the money with ads on jerseys. That's possible, but just... Um, Early on with ads on jerseys, the Sixers are one of the first teams to do it. They'll be wearing a StubHub patch this year. They got $5 million for the year in the grand scheme of things. That is not a lot of money. Although, if you look to the international game for the top teams in Europe, at least in soccer, um, over time, having ads on your jerseys can you know, end up being very uh, lucrative. I know that Bayern Munich gets $34 million annually from a Jersey partner from a Deutsche Telekom. And so, you know, if, if the NBA continues its global push and you start getting, you know, legitimate, and I don't mean StubHub as your sponsor, but a legitimate company, uh, oh, wait, I want to, I want to cast uh, aside StubHub like that. StubHub is the, the partnership is just disgusting to me because it gave the Sixers the ability, at least as it seems to control the, the third-party ticket market, um, where you can't get tickets for two or three dollars anymore, um, which I'm yeah, sure but, I could be but, wrong about for anybody who's tried to do it. But I don't like the idea of StubHub as a as a sponsor. Get me, get me. But they uh, are a, a big car, company. A, they are a, auto, a big get successful me an auto sponsorship. At, but no. Yeah, but StubHub is a is a big, I don't know where they fall in the grand scheme of things, but they're not some podunk warehouse. StubHub is a very large company and for advertising on sports jerseys, I don't think of a, I can't think of a company that would make more sense than StubHub, but well, let me just say that point is taking go like the, the Sixers will have StubHub and a team like the Celtics who granted are, are a very recognizable team, but I would argue the Sixers are as well. Boston is going to have general electric as their, uh, sponsor. So I'd be interested to see how much they're going to be getting off of the General Electric sponsorship. And what I'm saying is for for a large market team, I would have much preferred to have seen them get with a partner that that would likely, you know, turn out a higher revenue sharing than a StubHub would. It it just kind of felt like a knee jerk thing. The Sixers wanted to be at the forefront of adding, um, you know, adding these sponsorships to their jerseys. And instead of making the right partnership, they made one that that got their their name out there faster. So that I think that's my that's my issue. Uh, especially it's, if we see that the teams that kind of hold back for another year get better deals, especially for smaller market teams if they start pulling in like the Fords, the Chevys of the world who who are known internationally as as you know companies that throw a lot of money at jersey sponsorship uh, sales, I'd much rather have seen the Sixers take their time and get the right deal for a higher bit of, of revenue than to just partner with StubHub. I'm not saying StubHub sucks. I'm just saying that se- that's that's it sings Milwaukee Bucks to me. It sounds Memphis Grizzlies to me. It doesn't sound like a top market team that thinks that they're going to be a legit contender in a few years. That's just me. But that that that's the issue I have. It's not that even that they necessarily have sponsorships at all. It's just this doesn't strike me as a big city move. 
Are the Celtics really with GE? Or were you just saying that in jest? No, I'm serious. Oh, really? I didn't. I did not yeah. know that. Um, so they're going to be wearing those this next season. I believe so. I think it's okay. so it's supposed to be Boston, Brooklyn, and Philly. The Sixers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, look, I'm. I didn't know that, and I agree. When you get one of those big Fortune 100 companies that just spend branding dollars, that's when the game really changes, and that's what's been happening. What for a long time has happened in European soccer, and even even MLS soccer teams are sponsored. Um, I disagree with you a little bit on StubHub. I think it is the perfect for a sports sponsor. It makes a ton of sense, but. I agree that they are not GE, so point is well taken. Um, it's worth noting, I think the Sixers are doing it on a one- or two-year trial. Like I said, it's $5 million a year, and this was definitely a discount because it sounds like they won't. They don't have give exact details about this, but it sounds like it was baked into their StubHub partnership where the Sixers became, quote-unquote, the exclusive seller team to sell tickets on StubHub, yada, yada, yada. When you buy single-game Sixers tickets, it goes through StubHub now. So I think this was all baked into it. But keep in mind, people got a little bit out, bent out of shape about this stuff, and I guarantee you when they actually see them on jerseys next year, and the people who don't already know about it, and you see StubHub on a Sixers jersey or GE on a Celtics jersey, people are going to complain. And right now, that StubHub logo is very small. It is blue. It fits in with the jersey. To get these big sponsor, college, not college, soccer sponsorships on the jerseys, it soccer jerseys, the sponsor is essentially the logo. You get the little logo on the breast and the sponsor's logo right dead set across the center of the chest. That is where the big money is, but I have a feeling it's going to be a slow burn until we can convince an American audience to get there. Then again, um, if these broadcast rights come down in a few years and the leagues want to recoup that money, that's, that's definitely a way to do it. Someone else tweeted me that um, a question whether or not people, I forget who it was, would be even young people would even be interested in sports uh, because esports are taking off and they have so many other options. And I think we discussed this last time about the local teams. I think, um, yes, it might be a generational thing where it's just not a given that a young teenage male is likely to be interested in sports. There are many other options nowadays, but I, I don't. I think the notion that that young people won't be interested in sports is going away. What sports they choose to be interested in, yeah, I think the NFL and, and certainly the NBA are better positioned than hockey and baseball. But I, I don't think the, the concept of a sports fan is going away, though there in, is increased uh, competition there. Do you have any thoughts? Now, the, the only thing that stands out to me is I think we're looking at, and there was somebody on Twitter who had asked, they, they use the hashtag crossing broadcast, and they asked a few weeks ago, do we think that within the next... 15 or so years, do you think that MLS is going to be able to um, outrank the NHL, I guess, or catch uh, the viewership of the NHL? I can tell you that as of right now, or as of last season, MLS averaged more, um, they, they had higher ticket sales in terms of attendance than the NHL did, but that's also skewed by the fact that you have places like Seattle that use Qualcomm Stadium, and they can, they can fill that bad boy up with 40,000, 50,000 people. Um, I, I do think, and I've said it before, we are looking at probably the start of a fundamental switch, um, of what sports are catching on with the youth. I think it's more likely that you see higher growth in soccer, both domestically and internationally in, in terms of TV deals and in terms of attendance than you'll see with baseball. 
uh, with that same group. So if we're saying like kids that are currently in the five-year-old range, five to 15, I'd be interested to see in the next 10 to 15 years what that cross-section of people look like in terms of how much they're spending on going to baseball games versus soccer versus hockey versus basketball. I, I would assume as of right now, based on what I see, that uh, soccer, at least the MLS, is going to likely come close to catching uh, the NHL overall. And, in, you know, it, it'll be an interesting thing to see, especially, um, you know, I'm 26. When I was little, the question was always, will we ever get to see the international leagues on TV? Now you've got Fox that fought for the Bundesliga. Uh, ESPN tries to consistently try to fight for the Champions League. Fox got those rights. Um, it's not a coincidence that so many of these, uh, you know, massive sports channels and companies are, are trying to bid on these international leagues. There's a lot of money available and you know and uh, a lot of revenue that you can get from uh, from acquiring their rights yeah and i was just talking to my brother-in-law about this yesterday he lived in london for the last five years he just came home he's a big epl guy and we were talking about how good of a job nbc sports does covering the epl they put a lot of resources into it and they cover it almost like a fox or espn handles the nfl when you turn on nbc sports you're either going to get hockey or soccer coverage because they have the rights to those things. With EPL coverage is very, very good on NBC Sports. And every match is available. If it's not live on TV, they might put it on one of their other NBC-owned networks on some occasions, sometimes on NBC proper. But if not, you could stream it, uh, I believe, every single match in the league. Yeah, and, it, and it's paying off massively for them. They, they really set the groundwork for acquiring the rights to an international league. And you actually saw, uh, I think it was two years ago, there was this massive bidding war for the the German Bundesliga, where you have some of the most recogni recognizable teams in the world between Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. They, there was a bidding war for it. And Fox has done what I would say is a decent job, but they have not rolled out the red carpet quite as much as what you see um, NBC Sports doing for the EPL. They A lot of times they're burying games on FS2, which some cable providers don't even have. They still want you to try to sign up for Fox Soccer Plus, which is another ancillary channel where they could just as easily move games to FX or FXX, you know, in the morning, and they're and they're not, which is disappointing. Where you, as you were saying, NBC Sports at least they'll move a, a game to um, was a true no not True TV they'll move it to USA Discovery, or, or, CNBC, yeah, or like Universal. Yeah. So it really does come down to how much are you going to throw into it and how how much are you going to double down on your investment. Yeah, and to be clear, the international, the European soccer leagues are not immune to the problem we talked about. They rely on TV rights as well, maybe not to the extent that American sports do because they do have these, these big-time sponsorships and a little bit more of a global appeal, but they are very much uh, beholden to the changes in, in cord-cutting phenomenon. I think our, our point with this part of the conversation about kids growing up and not liking American sports is that there are just more options. They can watch European soccer just as easily as they can watch the MLS or Major League Baseball uh, or eSports. Is really, it, that is something that was not born in Asia, but it is huge in Asia, lesser, less so in Europe and even less so here. But to, there's no distinction. My son's one and a half when he's four and a half. It'll be just as easy for him to watch a live esports match, even if it's an NBA 2K match, as it is for him to watch a Phillies game. And probably even easier because those things, uh, I, I was at a panel at the Villanova 
law symposium a few months ago, a sports symposium at the Villanova Law School, and they had esports execs there, and they talked about they don't want TV rights. All of their consumers are people who stream first. They're young people. They don't even want to get on TV. If they get on TV, it's just a value added. Their goal is to just be everywhere on these streaming services and make it really easy for young people to stream them. So I think there's just increased competition in that regard. But um, again, we will come back to these topics. I'm sure this will be a common thread throughout this show because a lot of it has to do, especially with the down Philly sports time, I think a lot of it has to do with the way sports are changing, the way we view sports, and uh, and it, it makes an impact on salaries and directly on a team like the Sixers, who might have to pay Kyle Lowry $40 million. But we could stop talking you just about had Lowry. To, you just had, had to talk had about Kyle, Kyle Lowry. Uh, yeah. Let's do some headlines. Uh, quickly, Phillies dropped two or three to the Nationals. They are now 14-21, and 21, this after being 11-9, and nine, which my quick math says uh, that is a Three and twelve stint since being eleven and nine. Uh, doubleheader yesterday. They lost the first game on fr- which occurred on Saturday night. Bryce Harper hit a big home run, and uh, yesterday or after the game, Bob McClure came out and somewhat criticized Cameron Rupp for daring to call for a fastball to Bryce Harper. Um, someone asked me a question. This is. KQ 1971, how big of a D-bag is McClure for calling out the catcher publicly when he should be called out for never making any staff under his watch better? Partially agree. McClure, I've posted this. If you go back and look at his team ERAs, they have always been in the mid-20s, whether he was the pitching coach of the Royals, the Red Sox in the late aughts, and the Phillies for the last four or five years. He has just continuously overseen horrible pitching staffs. I called him the worst pitching coach in baseball when the Phillies hired him in 2013, and they haven't gotten any better. Worse, players have gotten worse under his watch. The Phillies' bullpen uh, regressed throughout the course of the season last year. There is no signs of any life this year. So, yeah. McClure, not exactly the guy to be calling out Cameron Rupp. However, Leslie Adele has written this on the site, and what it sounds like is the Phillies and a lot of teams around baseball are concerned that catchers are coming ups, coming ups, Jesus, it's so early, are coming up through the ranks, and in college, they're not getting to call their own games the way they used to. And the managers are calling those games from the bench, and the, the catchers are getting the signs and relaying to them. Then when they get to the minor leagues, a catcher is never actually called a full game until he gets to short season A ball. And that was the case with Rupp. I don't think he called the pitches in college. And the Phillies are well aware that he's still learning on the job. Not only what pitches to call, but how to read the batter, how to read the situation. Uh, in effect, I think he's also kind of a, a little bit of an airhead, which doesn't help the situation. So, um, yeah, McClure's a shitty coach, but probably right to call out Rupp here, calling for a fastball against Bryce Harper, which uh, ultimately he deposited one into the seats and the Nationals won on and Saturday And being, out, being outraged about it also implies that, or is assuming that, you know, he's He's already, at least from from my vantage point, I have to think that if he went public with it, he's already said something to Cameron Rupp, or that McCannon has said something to uh, to Cameron Rupp in the past. And at this point, they are so fed up that they had to go public with it. So I wouldn't be so sure that criticizing McClure for just you know for not having talked to him is entirely accurate. It's not like I know that for a fact, but I think oftentimes, especially with the kind of psyche that a lot of professional athletes have, uh, it you can pretty much assume that for the most part, unless you are looking to lose your job, 
you're more likely than not uh, having already found yourself in a conversation with that player before you go public. And he did clarify. He had originally said this on the pregame show with Larry Anderson on Sunday following Saturday night's game, which was the first game of the series because of the rain out. And he, was on, he did another interview later and said, I had already told Rupp this. I didn't mean to shred him publicly. He was aware of these critiques. So I, I'm sure it's conversations they've had for some time now. But the point is, you got major league catchers and especially guys like Cameron Rupp who don't know how to call a game well. And that's uh, how you get them calling for fastballs to Bryce Harper. Um, but here's the question. Why are you pitching to Bryce Harper again? Like I, I, you're, you're pitching to one of the, the premier players in baseball, a guy who you are hopefully going to sign in what, two years. I mean, like why there, there's no reason for it. I think I, I might be wrong about this. I think there was a, a guy on first. You're afraid that if you walk him intentionally, that you're going to be putting the, the tying or the winning run into scoring position, whatever. Fine. Pitch to someone else. Not Bryce Harper. This isn't like Ryan Howard where you knew if you threw him a curveball, he was going to, you know, you're going to make him look silly. Bryce Harper doesn't do that. You can't just, God, and don't throw a fastball. What are you doing? Why, Phillies? Why? Why do you do this to us? Yeah. uh, Look, there's a lot of things the Phillies are doing right now that are not smart. They do not know how to win games. And I have... I find it interesting they gave McCannon an extension. I guess he's sort of the Brett Brown here. You really don't know what you have because he has such slop to work with. But I've convinced I've seen enough from McClure. I know these pitchers aren't particularly great, but none of these guys have really progressed well under him. Aaron Nola hasn't progressed well. Velasquez hasn't progressed well. The bullpen has regressed, and he has no track record. This almost goes to our Doug Peterson conversation from last week. Nothing McClure has done in his 12-some years of being a pitching coach. You can hang your hat on and be like, oh, that's good. I think his team, the best team ERA he's ever had was his first year with the Royals when they were 16th in baseball. And it, and that got him four more years or five more years with the Royals. And, and he was consider, con, consistently between 25 and, and 30 in terms of where that, the team ERA has ranked in Major League Baseball ever since then with three different teams. I, the only th- I, the I don't only know how you say- continue to exist in the majors with that sort of track the- record. The only thing I can say positively about him is I was reading an article uh, from a while back. I think it was, He's a I think nice it was from guy. last year where it was like nice last guy. year. It was Fox Sports ran a thing about him being this mad scientist. It's when they, they were off to a good start. And that Zach Greinke was talking about how when he first came to the majors, how uh, McClure really beat him down with these these three rules about, you know, uh, or it was Greinke's rules that he won't throw a fastball. He won't throw a a change up and how McClure was like, all right, well, you know, if, if you're not going to do that, you're just going to be like a five and 10 guy every year for your career. And I guess that was like the one thing that stuck uh, from McClure to a pitcher. And well, you see where, where Granky has, has found himself. Um, uh, I, I'm they, you know, after, after he finally added a change up, he won the Cy Young. So, um, you know, I guess even a blind squirrel finds a, an acorn once in a while. And I'm willing to bet McClure cites that in every interview and uh, season in-season review that he has with uh, a manager or GM. Um, all right, the Sixers lottery is tomorrow, tomorrow night, Tuesday night. I ran, I run it once before the show, and this is, so this will be the show's official prediction. Uh, I do the real GM version. I like their their lottery simulator. Sixers got one pick, number five. That would be suboptimal. You are you are possibly the god. Darn it, stupid. I just ran Tankathon. What did you say you just got the fifth pick? Yeah. I ran Tankathon. I got Lakers pick conveys to the Sixers at number five. The Sixers pick drops to number six. If you are looking 
to have uh, some confidence instilled in you, listener, for the uh, the lottery and for the Sixers getting better picks. Unfortunately, it is not here, not today. Oh, I take two, uh, I just, I still I take take two picks take, over my one. Oh, this is the blessing. We just got, listen, I, don't fuck I just with ran Tankathon. tankathon. I just, real Tankathon, listen, I got Tankathon. Sacramento pick conveys to the Sixers at number two. Lakers pick conveys to the uh, Sixers at number six. I would take that. Listen, if Sam Hinkie's trade and that Sacramento pick swap ends up becoming a top two pick that goes to the Sixers after their pick falls, that would be potentially the greatest thing to ever experience as a Sam Hankey fan. Um, go go ahead. Run the real GM version. We will wait. I will I will All right. I will play All right. the music. In the meantime, since I since I mentioned yeah, uh, Sam Hankey, I was DMing Sam Hankey over the weekend. That I told you that there was wait, an what? interesting uh, there was a potentially interesting thing that happened. Wait, over wait, the wait, weekend. wait. Stop, 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 stop. You buried we would have led what? the show with this. Did did you have a was this a two way conversation? It was. Wait, um, what? But I will. No, no, no. Okay. See, I didn't tell you this because I thought you would overreact. Which I'm is, not overreacting. Sam Hankey doesn't talk to he hasn't talked to anybody. Th- well, this okay, is an exclusive. Was, no, no, no. It's not though. Well, it's an exclusive with me and 80 other people. Uh, Sam Hankey tweeted recently about this uh, this book called On Power, and he said for the first 81 people who get it. Um, who, who retweet it, they'll get a, the free audiobook version. And so then if you got it, he DM'd you, which he did. Uh, and so, of course, I'm sitting on my couch. Is this his know, book? What What is this? No, 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 it's not. Yeah, okay. Um, it's it's by Robert Caro. Um, okay. But anyway, so I'm sitting on my couch. I get this DM from Sam Hinkie about, you know, um, you should be able to follow this link and get the audiobook. So I'm like... I'm fan, like I'm fanboying out, right? My wife looks at me. She's like, "What's happening?" I said, "I just got a DM from Sam Hinkie." Like, you don't, you can't. How like, quickly you were can't, your pants like, off? You can't imagine how incredible this feels. So, did you just immediately I, remove your pants? No, no, no. But I, like, that's dude, true. I got so excited. I'm like, this is the greatest day of my life. That's why so, you took your pants off. Uh, so what happened is, I, uh, I messaged him back. I tried to redeem it. It didn't work. So then, like, it's this whole thing. I had to set up a Venmo. Then, like, my buddy was like, yo, I wait, think you wait, got wait, fraud. Wait, 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 no, like, no, 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 you're re- no, no. You're reading this verbatim. You are reading this verbatim. You you are treating Sam Hinkie as a customer service rep. I love this. You see this? You see uh, this? Yes, unfortunately, I'm people listening up, cannot. Go. But that, those so, are okay. actual, like, so anyway, text responses yeah, from yeah, Sam Hinkie. So, so we go back and forth. We get it figured out. So I got the, the audio book. Life is good. Thank you, Sam. And then I'm sitting there happy that I had this, like, little conversation. So my wife says, yo. You absolutely have to tell him that crossing broadcast is a thing if he doesn't know already and see if he'll go on, right? So I message him and I'm like, hey, you know what? Thank you for working with me on this. And I tell him my, my like little story about like what I do and that it's not my job, but I'm a co-host of crossing broadcast. I'm sure there are people who would love to hear from you about not even the Sixers, because I know that that's a, a point of contention. He like not only does he not like to talk to people, but he doesn't want to talk to people publicly or on the record about the Sixers. My whole thing is people want to just know what's going on with him, uh, and you know just eventually when he he finds another job in basketball, which is inevitable after his no compete clause runs out. Um, so I dropped that. I, I reached out and I said, you know that I, I I look forward to seeing what the future holds for him, um, and I thanked him. Of course, did I expect a response to that? 
No. No the response? response I got the response that I got was confirmation that uh this, you know, Venmo thing had gone through and uh but I know it, he read it. I know he read it or there was an intern who was running his account that read it and all I know is I have now put out into the universe uh, uh an olive branch to Sam Hinkey, the dark lord of the Sixers, the man who I absolutely found myself uh in absolute did, did, wait, wait, did he just completely ignore ignore your your request like just responded yeah. to something else yeah. oh that's yeah. that's like when you, that's like when you text like text a girl and you you know you ask her to go out and she says oh yeah no thanks for thanks for wishing me well and doesn't even respond that's why but in fairness that's why i didn't want to you know get you too excited about this okay but i All know right. it's out there and if he ever looks at his dms even if it wasn't him that was sending them i know that it's out there what and is his relationship with this book? Like, why was he promoting it? Is it just an author I'm he not knows? Sure. Or... I, this could just be one of the hinky things where, like, he's been living in Silicon Valley for this past year. Yeah. And it just might yeah. be part of a part of a, you know, promotion thing with with Amazon audiobooks or whatever. But um, he's like a little he bit of an eccentric, that. like Gavin Belson at Hulu. Yeah. But yeah. He, he he posted, you know, in, in favor of, of this book and about this guy's life. So. I'll be listening, which will be pretty cool. And if, if I do the hinky thing, I think he listens to audiobooks at three times speed. Yeah, I tried so that. That's listens, fucked up. You know, Don't do that. And, and I'll tell you something. If he uh, if he listens to Crossing Broadcast, I just want to say, Sam, thank you. You made you made my evening that day by simply responding to a DM. And uh, all the best to you, sir. I suspect that he does not listen to the show. But did, what was your pitch? What was your actual pitch to him? Because I'm sure he's I'm sure he's familiar with Crossing Broad, but you know he probably doesn't know about our podcast. But w- what was your actual pitch to him? I said, well, I told him that I'm I'm a teacher in the Philly area, that my students and I still speak his praises. For that, if you're willing or interested, I'm a co-host of the podcast Crossing Broadcast. Uh, we have listeners who would be ecstatic to hear about what you're doing now, what it's like to be involved as a front office member. I'm excited to see what the future holds for you. All the best. That's what I wrote. All right. You know, do I expect him to go on to somebody else's podcast from the area? No. Will he go on because I'm a teacher and what does he have to lose? No. But maybe he will. Maybe he will use me as a charity case. And by all means, Sam, we are here whenever you you make that decision. All right. All right. So anyway... Uh, that is good. I, I find it awesome that Sam Hinkie is directly responding to these things and handling your. I can't imagine he's just employing an intern to be his his eccentric tweeting response person. So I would be surprised if it wasn't him actually responding to you. But I love how Sam Hinkie is now taking your uh, customer service complaints through DM. That's awesome. Um, anyway, the lottery. He's an smart. awesome guy. Awesome guy. I'm sure. Oh man, God, I gotta give my left nut to get him. Um, Anyway, the lottery is tomorrow night. Uh, I got five. You you had a little bit better luck. When I got five, the Lakers got one. So puke. Um, let's go. Dallas. Dallas uh, put in to host. Formally bid to host the NFL draft. Uh, not really much to say here, other than it happened. Again, I will continue to say I wouldn't be shocked if Philly gets it again next year. It was such a rousing success that anywhere they have it next year, they may try and make it bigger and better, but I don't think they're going to get the organic 
insane positive fan reaction that it got here in Philly where it organically turned into a festival atmosphere. You can't just, no matter how many corporate sponsored booths you put up and what sort of scenery you have, you can't just manufacture that sort of thing. And there are very few cities like Philly. I'm not sure if Dallas would be one of them that could that could do that sort of thing for the draft. And it sounds like there's at least a chance that it comes back here for a second year. Um, other news, Jillian Mealy, I think, starts on Fox News in the morning today, probably as we're recording this. I saw a tweet that she did a segment with a local store, and they said it will be on Fox between 6 and 9 today. So it looks like Jillian Mealy is officially with Fox News. So while you're listening to this, uh, turn it on. And um, real quick, shit no one cares about. Russ, go. You have 38 seconds. Philadelphia Soul have improved to 5-0. and Next. And oh. And over the weekend, the Philadelphia Union, surprisingly, continued their shutout streak for the first time since 2012. They have three consecutive shutouts. They won over uh, D.C. United 4 to nothing. Not, uh, not surprisingly, our follow-up went long because we could talk about cord cutting in the sports bubble forever. And uh, your hinky story threw us for a little bit of a loop. Do you have time for two questions? Heck yeah, I do. All right, let's do two questions here. Uh, let me see what we should pick. Uh, all right, this one, I've been, I've, we've had this on our list for a while. This comes from Cam Ashta4. How Eagles fans, hold on, I'm parsing his grammar here. How are Eagles fans, how Eagles fans are just like Stepford Flyers fans? 80% approval rating for Roseman despite nothing but failure. Uh, go ahead. Do you think Eagles and Flyers fans are similar? I do not. No, because Flyers fans continue to buy a tickets to a team that continues to promote internally based on no previous success. The Eagles, while they haven't been all that successful since the McNabb years, I also would argue that that the blind love and optimism that many in the Flyers uh, you know, fandom hold for Hextall is not equivalent to what Roseman sees. I think there are still plenty of people who are critical of Roseman. Yep. You're, now, there is an, a growing sentiment of... Um, of a, a little bit of disdain for what Hextall is doing for the Flyers, but I would still say that that's a, a very small minority of the popula- of the uh, the fandom versus, you know, Roseman. Roseman can still be, I don't know, are we at like maybe a 40% bit of the fan base that still hates him outright, maybe less? There's still a high percentage that is skeptical. Um, I don't know if there's I, the hate there for him. I just think his ceiling is lukewarm acceptance at this point because like like Doug Peterson, like McClure, there's just really nothing to point to and be like, yep, I have faith in Howie. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is totally, this is unfair. I, Eagles fans are notoriously tough. Look what we did to Donovan McNabb and Andy Reid. Um, sure, all fans of all sports teams are able to get excited when something good happens and you put faith and hope in this stuff. So uh, is our faith and hope with Roseman? Yes. Did he have a pretty good offseason? Uh, yeah, I, everyone seems to think so, at least on paper. But then again, that he had a good offseason on paper in 2011, the Dream Team year. And we saw how that worked out. So, um, But the Fly- Flyers fans are a whole different animal. The, the Flyers, no matter what they do, you give it... I, and I know this from like just being on Twitter all day, seeing some of the things that Paul Holmgren did. Um, you know, it, it, when they... With Dave Haxtall, he catches all this shit for benching Gossespierre, and then out of nowhere, within 24 hours, 
all of a sudden Flyers fans are, are all in on Dave Haxtall, at least most of them, maybe not the smart, the, some of the smarter hardcore Flyers fans on Twitter, but Flyers fans come around to anything, even if they hate it, even if they tell you they hate it up front and then something happens, give it 24 hours and they just slurp the Kool-Aid. It's incredible. You can't even have a reasoned conversation. You can't even say something like, I, I've said Steve Mason is inconsistent, which is wildly true. He, at times he has looked like a top five goalie and at other times he looks completely lost. And no matter how many times you will just throw numbers at people and, and show them how inconsistent he could be, I'll get people say, well, he doesn't get a chance to start, yada, 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 blame the organization. It's never the goalie's fault with Flyers fans. They always blame the defense, but then when you blame the defense, they say, well, such and such players out of position. I could go on and on. Flyers fans. I don't know if I totally agree with it's never the the goalie's fault. I I do. I do agree that oftentimes we blame the defense. But at least what it is with Flyers fans, they don't want to blame one thing. Like when you blame the goalie, you're blaming a person. When you blame the defense, it is the concept of the defense. When you blame the front office, you could blame the front office, but you can't blame the GM. Andrew McDonald, you know, like Andrew McDonald. He's a rare exception. Yeah, but I mean, like it's it's a commonplace thing, right? Like. When when Brzezgalov signed, you're right. Brzezgalov was was supposedly this elite goalie, right? He had a good defense in front of him. He had a good system being played in front of him. He came here, and all of a sudden he's trash, right? And so then there was a question: Was he ever elite, or is it just the Philly system and the defense is trash? Then he goes on after Philly, and he's still trash. So maybe it was just him, right? But, but when he was here, I, you couldn't criticize him. Like I don't know how many times I wrote Brzezgalov sucked. God, he sucked. And they're like, well, the defense they hung him out to dry. I'm like, yeah. Look, the guy's making 50, he has a $50 million contract. He has to make some of these big saves. The Flyers are paying for a goalie who could bail them out once in a while. Yes, does the defense have lapses? Yes, all defenses have lapses in the NHL, even the best ones. And you could not criticize Brzezgalov, even when he was the most aloof, goofy figure around who was not performing, was underperforming his contract. If I criticized him, you got like this this cascade of Flyers fans being like, well, it's not his fault. It was the defense. Who cares, you know, what he says off the ice? Like he clearly wants a Like, no, like Flyers fans can just not blame a person. They fall in love with these guys and have trouble blaming them. And then they raise them up in their eyes. Like I know some smart Flyers fans like Bellamar or whatever, like understand that he's not that good, but you can't criticize. He's one of our guys. He plays hard. Flyers fans are the worst in that regard. But you know what? Brisgallov is easily speaking. a top five. Brisgallov is a top five personality in Philly sports that I have seen. That dude on 24-7, if you remember, yeah. universe, so humongous, big, all our problems, so small. Yeah, so I, I, small. Don't worry. Be happy. That was pretty good. Loved him. I freaking loved Brisgallov. Oh, I agree. Like, I would give— As a guy. As a guy, not as goalie. Goalie, not good. As Got a it. guy, I would sit down and talk about the universe with that dude. Maybe we need to get Ilya Brisgallov on this podcast. Maybe that will get Sam Hinkie here. Hinkie and Brizgalov on a panel for crossing broadcasts. It's genius. While we're speaking of DMs, Brzg- I was one of the first Philly people Brizgalov followed because right when he signed here, when it was rumored he was going to come here, I sought him out on Twitter, followed him, messaged him, and I guess he just saw Philly, followed me, and we DM'd, and I DM'd about interviewing him, and he, he declined, but I actually had an exchange with Briz before he ever played a game here. And I think once during that season, and then we got pretty harsh on him, and he only followed like 100 people for a little while, or a relatively low number. So if he ever checked Twitter, he probably saw a lot of our hate. But um, I, I I actually don't know. If he still follows me, I could try the old DM thing. Like, he's got nothing better going on. His kid is still 
still playing hockey for, I think, Team Comcast in South Jersey. So he's around. Maybe that's someone we get on uh, just for shits and giggles. But I agree. As a blogger, I would I would kill Vernelius Brisgalov right now just for something to talk about. Um that's probably our last one. This is from Elliot Shore Parks, actually. I asked this a few weeks ago. What do you guys feel about the job Howie Roseman has done? This follows up to the last one. Uh, I will say B so far for this offseason. He added the wide receivers. I get that they're short-term deals, but you give, a real, you give real options to Carson Wentz, and you could see what he could do. Both guys, Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith, could be signed for the long term uh, if they work out. And I like their draft strategy. I, I, they build in through defense, start from the inside, work your way outside, and take a high-risk, high-reward uh, flyer on a guy like Sidney Jones, who could be a real stud if he comes back from his injury, and focus on speedy wide receivers in the back half of the draft, taking some wild cards there. Uh, Russ? I could do, like— I. My my heart tells me one thing and my gut tells me the other. I don't want to give him an A because I just like to be a jerk. But I will say the number one priority in in this team is to get Carson Wentz comfortable and to get him weapons. And while you can point to the running back position and say that it was not properly addressed and that you might be burying you know Wentz um, with with terrible backfield play, I will say that giving him legitimate receivers who will not stunt his growth as a quarterback and who actually know how to catch a ball are so much more valuable than anything you could even do on the defensive side of things. Because again, I don't expect the Eagles to be very good. I don't expect them to contend, but your number one priority as a GM this year should be to put weapons around your franchise quarterback. He did it getting Alshon Jeffrey. It was just a fantastic move unless the dude gets suspended, but uh, for, for PEDs, but Hey, I'll take it. I love getting him some receivers. And by the way, I saw a thing yesterday. There was a source that said that uh, Mac Hollins is is looking awesome at uh, Eagles practice, although it was only the first day. They said he looked speedier than they remembered seeing on tape. And uh, look, if you got a, a big receiver who's got decent quickness off the line um, to to play with Wentz for the next however many years, that's that's a pretty good find. And who better to learn from as a big receiver about catching the ball at its highest point than Alshon Jeffrey. So yeah, I'll leave it I, at that. I don't put a lot of stock into workout observations. But yes, all good to hear on Matt Collins. It sounds like there's been a lot of positive stuff coming out about him. I agree with you on the receivers. I think the Eagles receiving core is really good, and this is why I don't like the notion of potentially trading Jordan Matthews. Alshon Jeffrey is a legit number one when healthy. Torrey Smith, uh, if he could, you know, get his shit together is a really good stretch option on the other side of the field. And you put Jordan Matthews into his natural slot position along with Zach Ertz, who at least in the second half of the year is always good. Uh, that gives you a really good solid receiving core and they can worry about the running back next year when they're maybe ready to really move forward. Russ, I know you got to go. That's our show. Thanks for listening. As always, we do welcome comments, five-star reviews in iTunes. Please leave those. If you haven't already subscribed in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, we're in TuneIn Radio now as well. Leave a five-star review. Put a question in there. We will make sure to get to it and prioritize those questions. And please, if you haven't, tell one friend. If you like the show and you've made it 45 minutes into the show into your commute already, tell one friend to download and subscribe to the show, and that's how we'll grow this thing. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you on be chatting on the interweb maggots prey upon the living dead i had no interest in the things she said on the phone.